Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. So I just got back from Colorado. I was staying in Denver and I went to Boulder for a few days and I had such an awesome trip. I got to hang out with some pretty amazing people. I saw my friend Michelle Strand, who's a producer of Women of Impact, who's been on this podcast, and Rhett Taylor, one of the co-founders of NED. You guys know how much I love Ned, and he has been on this podcast as well. And then I hung out with my friend Jessica Kristen. I've been on her podcast, the Pure Living podcast, and we also recorded there. So I'll have an episode coming up soon with an episode with her that was a lot of fun. And then I hung out with Julie Bauer from Paleo MG. She has also been on this show, so make sure you check out that episode if you haven't already. I just love her. I love all those people. It was a lot of fun and there's just something so healing about Colorado. The beautiful mountain air, people are so friendly, so I had a great time and I'm sure I will be back very soon because I just loved it there and there's more to see, even more to see and do. I got a little rain while I was there, so I didn't get to hike, which I really wanted to do, so I'll have to do that next time. And now I'm back in San Diego for a few days before I head off for 4th of July. I cannot believe that July is rapidly approaching, which means that the Wellness Realness Retreat is also rapidly approaching, and I'm so excited. It's going to be the ultimate wellness weekend, and we are almost filled up, so if you want to snag a spot, make sure you do so right now. You can go to bit.ly slash wellnessrealness2019 to learn more, but activities will include hiking, yoga, acupuncture, vitamin shots, nutrient drips, and group Reiki, as well as workshops from me about health and nutrition and mindset, body image, self-development. We are going to eat the most delicious food, including food from Powerhouse Pizza, Peace Pies, Parakeet Cafe, and a home-cooked meal from Kelly Scott of Kelly's Clean Kitchen. If you follow me on social media, I am sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Last year's retreat was one of my favorite weekends of my whole life, and I'm so excited to have another retreat with a new group of ladies. It is going to be such a rewarding experience and you are going to meet some incredible like-minded women. So I highly recommend signing up if you are considering it because I promise you, you will not regret it. I want to spend a whole weekend hanging out with you. Imagine being able to talk back to the things I say on this podcast. That's basically what a whole weekend is like with me. Again, go to bit.ly slash wellnessrealness2019 to grab your ticket. 
learn about everything that's included in the ticket price. This is such a steal for everything included. I really wanted to make this as cost effective as I could for you guys. I know most wellness retreats are a few thousand dollars. So this is your chance to have an amazing opportunity at a much lower price because I love you guys and I want you there. I want to meet you in real life. And don't forget that you will also receive an epic swag bag when you come. Everyone loves swag. Everyone loves goodie bags. And it's going to include products from so many of my favorite brands. I'm sure you can probably guess some of them. Speaking of brands I love, a standout company for me, especially recently, has been Beekeepers Naturals. And I know that ever since my last podcast with Carly Stein, the founder, a lot of you guys have been just as obsessed as me. I really think these products save me when I travel, especially the Bee Propolis. If you're not familiar with Beekeepers Naturals yet, you should definitely go listen to my podcast episode with founder Carly Stein. But in the meantime, Beekeepers Naturals is a wellness company that specializes in making nutraceuticals from bee products. Their mission is to provide people with natural remedies for their health challenges and also to save the bees. I have been using Bee Propolis for a few years now, and I heard about it first from Carly at the beginning of building this company. She had reached out to me, but I didn't I didn't try the products, and then I heard people like Chris Kresser and Katie from Wellness Mama talking about it, so I picked some up, and it just became a staple in my daily routine. Bee Propolis is like nature's antibiotic, and it seriously does everything. Propolis is the immune system of the hive. It has incredible germ-fighting properties, and it contains over 300 beneficial vitamins, minerals, and compounds. This is amazing for supporting immunity. If you're somebody who is stressed out a lot, if you don't get a lot of sleep, if you travel often, if you're an athlete, you definitely need to get propolis because it's great for preventing any sickness. But also if you do get a sore throat or a cough, this can really help kill it quickly. I always bring it on travel with me and I swear it saves me and it's TSA friendly. You just do a few squirts in your mouth in the morning and I do it in the evening too. And since talking to Carly, I have doubled or tripled my dose. <laughs> Another product I use every single day is the Bee Powered. And the Bee Powered combines all of the superfoods of the hive to really support both your mind and your body. So it contains propolis, which we talked about before, that has amazing immune-supporting abilities. And then it also contains royal jelly, which is great for brain health and also skin. And then, of course, there is the energizing bee pollen and, of course, their signature raw enzymatic honey. I like to take one teaspoon in the morning for energy, brain health, and antioxidants. And it's also great as a mask for the skin. I know so many people who say using the Bee Powered as a face mask has done wonders for their psoriasis and eczema. So you could try that out. And then, of course, their Brain Fuel, which is an amazing nootropic formula that has natural compounds that help to enhance your memory, your performance, and your cognition. So anytime I want to be extra sharp that day and just boost my brain, I will take half a vial or a full vial of the Beelixir Brain Fuel. And of course, if you are looking for a little honey to support your sleep before bed, I highly recommend the Bee Chill Hemp Honey. It contains a high-potency hemp oil and MCT emulsion to naturally maximize the bioavailability and absorption of their hemp. 
the Beechill Hemp Honey delivers a powerful 20 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon to help you chill out and relax before bed. And this can also help you from waking up in the middle of the night because it can help to replenish your glycogen stores. And of course, for all of you chocoholics out there, definitely check out the Superfood Cacao Honey. They have combined their signature raw, sustainably sourced honey with organic Ecuadorian cacao. And it tastes absolutely amazing. Raw honey is full of antioxidants and raw cacao is a great source of vitamins and minerals to keep you full of energy and make sure your sweet tooth is satisfied. So if you are ready to try out Beekeepers Naturals products, just go to beekeepersnaturals.com CRW and my discount code CRW will get you 15% off. Again, that's beekeepersnaturals.com. B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S dot com slash C-R-W. And my code C-R-W will get you 15% off your Beekeepers Naturals purchase. Speaking of optimizing your brain function and overall health, I am so excited to introduce today's guest to you guys. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Gregory Kelly, who is a naturopathic physician who is the lead product formulator at Neurohacker Collective and author of the book Shapeshift. Dr. Kelly has over 30 journal articles indexed on PubMed, and his areas of special interest include nootropics, anti-aging, regenerative medicine, weight management, and the chronobiology of performance and health. I found out about Neurohacker Collective when I was at Paleo FX, and I think that nootropics are really interesting, and I love learning about all the ways you can optimize brain function, so I really wanted to have Dr. Kelly on to explain more about nootropics and how to optimize your brain health and talk about sleep and anti-aging and all the things related to that. I have actually been using Eternus, which we talk a little bit about at the end of this episode, for about a month now, and I just got Qualia, so I'm going to start trying it out. But so far, I have actually noticed in the last month that my brain function has improved, which is really interesting. So, so far I have had good results with Eternus and I'm only taking one capsule a day. And he will explain more about that in this episode, so stay tuned. And if you end up wanting to try any products from Neurohacker Collective, you can go to bit.ly slash neurohackercrw and my discount code CRW will get you 15% off your first purchase. Again, that's bit.ly slash neurohacker, C-R-W, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R-C-R-W. And use that code CRW for 15% off. All right, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and hop into this interview with Dr. Gregory Kelly. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Let's just start off by you introducing yourself to my listeners in case they're not familiar with you. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Christina. So uh, my name is Gregory Kelly. I'm a naturopathic doctor. I um, went to Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is in currently Tempe, Arizona. But way back when I went, it was in Scottsdale. And I was in the first class there. When I graduated, I um, worked for a company called Thorne, a vitamin company um, that at the time only sold to doctors. So I did a lot of, um, education to doctors and then eventually went in practice in Peter Diadamo's, um, blood type clinic in the Greenwich, Stanford, Connecticut area. So 
Um, since then, I've largely done corporate wellness and been involved in the education and the dietary supplement world. And currently, I'm the lead formulator for Neurohacker Collective. And, um, you know, our focus to date has been largely on improving brain performance and improving mitochondrial performance. So how did you get connected with Neurohacker Collective? You know, really, um, so Neurohacker Collective is located in San Diego County, and I'd been transitioning out of doing a lot of work in corporate wellness and was looking to get back into the dietary supplement world, and it was just a perfect alignment of timing and fit. Okay. And what got you interested in, like, brain health and anti-aging, all of that? So um, brain health really, and this would be the Neurohacker philosophy as well, we're just big believers that one of the the most fundamental things we need to improve if we want to perform at our best is our brain. Mm -hmm. So the other big thing is we would, and I think this would be similar for you, we want to see the world be a much better place. And a lot of that also starts with our brain. When when our brain's performing better, we're just typically better people. We're more patient, we're more tolerant, we're able to do our work better, we're better able to show up in our relationships. So you know, really, I think the brain is the entryway to making sure that, you know, if we want to upgrade our ourselves and how we show up on a daily basis, that's one of our, our, our gateways to that. Yeah, I would agree. And I feel like brain health recently has been more popular, like gut health, brain health, um, and how they're both connected. Um, yeah. So let's start diving into some things that people can do to support their brain function. So where where do you start with someone? So I would say, like, this goes back to when I was in practice and when I taught naturopathic students. Um, mm-hmm. I, I at one point taught at the college in Connecticut, and I taught classes in nutrition and then what I would think of um, as mind-body medicine for your audience. But, like, my two baseline things always starting were sleep and body clock. And in part because, you know, this was going back to the early 2000s, they were so neglected. Mm-hmm. I think sleep now in the biohacking world especially has, we've come a long way appreciating how important sleep is. But I can remember back then occasionally having a student that would come up and be like, Dr. Kelly, you know, I feel like I'm reading the same thing over and over and I'm just not understanding it. I'm, my memory's not working well. Like, what can I do? And my First question always was, well, how much sleep are you getting and how good is it? And quite frequently, like, well, I don't have time to get enough sleep because I have so much studying to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what you're doing and calling studying isn't really working. So maybe if you took more time to get good sleep, you'd be much more efficient in that. And and I saw that same thing with patients. So I think when we want our brain to work better, one of the most fundamental things is sleep to make sure we're getting enough. And then do, do you um, know kind of the idea of owls and larks with, it's called chronotypes? A little bit, but explain to people. Yeah, so there's, um, so in body clock research, there's this idea that some people innately have a body clock that makes them night people. So they're often referred to as owls. Other people much more are morning people, like they're, and I'm a morning person, like they're the irritating people that jump out of bed and are ready to go, mm-hmm. uh, typically early. And then the vast majority of people are somewhere in the middle. And then over the lifespan, we can shift between those. So your classic teenager would be much more of an owl. Your classic retiree would be much more of a lark. Mm -hmm. And so that 
chronotype, that like orientation to how our body clock fits in the sun's and well, the, the sun's daily schedule also will influence when we're going to respond best to exercise, typically when we'll respond best to food. So if you're more of a night person, you can, you don't necessarily, uh, where you're typically not going to do great on a nine to five schedule. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the person like Dave Asprey and Bulletproof talks about um, it all the time for himself that he gets a lot of his best work done. Um, you know, what we would classically think of as time periods where people like me would be sleeping. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. I have some questions about this because sure. I think about this a lot in, for myself um, too, but aren't there other profiles besides owl and lark? Aren't there two? Aren't there like four? Yeah. So there's a uh, person that wrote a book on it and he actually gave mammal names to yeah. things. So there's wolf, bear, dolphin, and there's a four. Okay, so he's yeah. got more gradations of it. So I think that's a great book. And, um, you know, that's more his archetype. Um, mm-hmm. but I think there's value to that. Okay. But it's a similar, yeah, I was just thinking of that. I remember I read that book a long time ago, a couple of years ago, and yep. I remember taking a test, but I mean, do you think that people are really just, let's say owls or larks like innately or because some people I've talked to a few, um, neuroscientists who say, well, people who are owls just, they could teach themselves to be larks. Like, mm-hmm. you know how we, Especially we look at like Ayurvedic medicine and there's this whole idea of like the best time to work and exercise and just for everybody, like where our circadian rhythm naturally aligns. And so my question is, are people really nighttime people or is their circadian rhythm just disrupted and their cortisol dysregulated? So I think there's, um, I think the vast majority of people are really plastic, so they can swing, they can swing a lot. So one of the classic things you would see is there's two main things that anchor our, our body clock rhythms and would adjust, you know, where we fall on that owl to lark continuum. One of them is, you know, early morning sunlight and the other is when we eat our first meal. So what you would see is if someone gets early morning sunlight or uses a light box, some type of bright light therapy and eats breakfast, that naturally swings them to be more of a morning person. Okay. If and, and, you know, doesn't get hungry and isn't eating until later in the day, then that's going to perpetuate that cycle of being a night person. So I, I had a bunch of patients over the years that were night people that as soon as we got them eating breakfast and got them consistent exposure to morning light shifted to be in that more middle ground where they were, you know, not a crazy lark, but the owl behavior had gone away. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's really plastic for most people. But I would also argue there's a, a subset left to their own devices that tend to do much better gravitating towards that owl type of lifestyle. Yeah. So. Well, just my personal experience with this is I'm definitely an owl. And I get I tell people, I'm like, I just feel like I can't even focus. I get all my work done at night when everyone else is sleeping. And I really want to be a morning person. I really want to, and I'll set my alarm, and I'll eat breakfast, and I'll go outside. Um, but if I wake up like five, six, seven a.m., I'm still going to go to bed at like one or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm just like, am I? Am I just not trying hard enough, or am I just really an, an owl person? You know, my is my cortisol just really dysregulated? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I heard. Um, I can't remember who it was. I heard speak about it, but but basically, the gist of what I recall them saying was it would be 
evolutionarily wise within like a village of people Mm -hmm. to have some people that were more alert at different points of a 24-hour day. So because that, like our genes should have self-selected to that there's a subset that would naturally be much more alert where you are, another subset much more alert early in the day like I am, and then a whole bunch of people that would be in the middle. And and that just made so much intuitive sense to me that, Yeah. yeah, like our, you know, like we're all obviously our, our body's always trying to do the best it knows how, but then collectively it would make sense that the gene pool would, you know, try to solve things like that as well. That does make a lot of sense and um, makes me feel better about myself. I was just talking to one of my friends who's like in the fitness industry and she was saying, you know, I'm not a morning person either. And I feel like in health and fitness industry, if you're not a morning person, like they act like it's so bad, like you're a bad person if you're not a morning person. But I don't know. It just works better for me. I'm glad I don't have a nine to five job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel bad for the kids that like I, every time I've seen, um, when a school district or state has decided to start the school day later, mm-hmm. academic grades go up. So really like we're so like, like one of the things going way back, I decided is it's all about results. Like we can have these beliefs and dogma, but really in the real world, what, what happens is the most important thing. So mm-hmm. like we, yeah, at this point, there's been, I think, enough um, experiments on it that we know teenagers do way better when they actually get to start school a bit later. That's so interesting. I mean, if I had had high school or middle school start later, I probably would have been much more alert <laughs> and paid attention. Yeah. I think most students like sleep sleep through the first five hours of their school day. So that makes sense. I didn't realize that. Okay, well, let's talk about sleep itself. So what is enough sleep? So I think sleep's a, both two things, right? Like a quantity and then quality. And of the two, probably quality is the more important thing. So I, I think one of the great things now is there's so many you know, whether it's an iWatch, an Aura Ring, apps you can put on your phone, that you can at least get some tracking information about your sleep. Mm-hmm. So I would say there's the time that we spend in bed, and then there's the time we sleep, which is a subset of that. Because um, there's lots of slight wakings that happen during the night that our brain would never become aware of. And then during sleep, we go through cycles. So um, the first stage would be slow waves sleep that gets deeper and deeper. And the key is we want to get into that really deep sleep for probably ideally about at least an hour a night. And I know even when I track my sleep, like there's some nights I'll get say 35, 40 minutes, other nights I'll get over an hour and it makes a huge difference the next day how I feel before. What do you track with? I, um, I track with a variety of things, just trying to, you know, in part so I can give feedback to people that would only have maybe access to one of them. But mm-hmm. um, an app I really like on my phone, and I use an iPhone, so I don't know if it's um, Android available, but it's called Sleep Score. Okay. And um, it, what it does is it uses the speakers on your phone. So you line it up so those are kind of pointed to where you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. And then it sends out like sound almost like sonar that bounces off you and bounces back and it uses then its algorithm to calculate you know how many times you woke up your deep sleep your rent like your dreaming sleep the amount of actual time you were in sleep and gives you an overall sleep score but then like a what it would call a mind score a body score based on the deep sleep the REM sleep things like that so I think the um 
like um, the makers of it, ResMed, are one of the big sleep apnea companies. So they're they definitely know sleep. So I I think that's mm-hmm. um, like a great free app. And yeah. the only downside of the free version is you don't get to keep your. I think you only get to keep seven or eight days worth of information, and then it deletes. If okay. you pay, then you get to keep all of it. But I just take it and put it on a spreadsheet. Have you compared that to the Aura Ring? So I haven't compared it to the Aura Ring. And each thing, I've compared it to um, like some of the apps I can put on my um, Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. And um, what I would say is that to me seems like the best combination of both information but the display of the information. Okay. Some of the other, um, like the Apple Watch, I think all of these things are equally close in terms of um, the information that they provide. Mm-hmm. But like like REM sleep, um, a few of the apps I've tried haven't seemed to pick up much REM sleep towards the end of the sleep. So we would do much more dreaming sleep before we wake compared to when we go to bed. Mm-hmm. And so if on like an app, I don't see it picking up much of that towards the tail end of the night, I tend to weight that reliability lower. And then the, the big thing with any of these apps is don't think of them as um, like a, even close to being 100% accurate compared to what you would get with a sleep study. But they're really useful to get a baseline with that and then track over time. Yeah. So like with the score app, I know like a good night's sleep for me, I'll, I'll get one of their scores of like say a mid 80s, so 83, 85. And if I do an intervention and all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting a sleep score of 90s, then that was a good intervention for me. Okay. You know, if I do something and all of a sudden I'm getting 50s, then all right, like something went amiss here. So I think it's um, the main value of these things is being able to see trend yeah. and being able to use them as you self-experiment to get a sense, is this working for me or not? Yeah, that makes sense. I got a little worried when, I mean, my aura ring was telling me I was getting so much deep sleep and REM sleep. And then I went in and got some like brain imaging, like brain scans. And they're like, it looks like you haven't like, you're like not getting any deep sleep or REM sleep for like the last few months. And I was like, my aura ring is telling me I'm doing great. (laughs) So I got really nervous. But I think it is more valuable like day to day seeing like if you change something and something improves or gets worse. Um, I'm curious about that. You said that app is called sleep sound. Is that what you said? Oh, sleep score. Sleep score. Sorry. Is okay. That, you know, it's, it's one that um, there's a paid and a free version, but mm-hmm. the free one, it, if I had to just give one pick, that would be my number one in terms of the ones I've experimented with. There's a lot of good. And it needs, ones. so basically it needs to be pointed at your head, like the bottom. You would point it more towards your torso. Oh. So where yeah, do you and put I it? keep it a couple. So I keep it on a like a um, nightstand about two feet from my bed, and then okay. just angle it there. So 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 that's one that I've used. Um, I mean, I think the Aura Ring's fantastic for people that have that. So yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it to be honest. Aura Ring, if you're listening, battery sucks. <laughs> but um, here's something though, like related to the phone. So what are your thoughts on like EMFs? Do you worry about so you that? Can, you yeah, I on... mean, you can always put things in um, like more in airplane mode. So I, I know for a lot of the sleep apps, that's what people will do. Okay. And it yeah. still picks it up? The, like, so I think the way it works is it sends all of that information and calculates the score when it gets it. Mm, okay. So, 
It's very interesting. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, so let's talk about, um, in terms of quality, what are things that people can do to improve their sleep quality? Because I think this is a big issue that's really overlooked. Like almost every person I talk to, like they have poor quality of sleep. They wake up multiple times during the night or they have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep. Um, so what are some key things that you recommend to people to improve their quality of sleep? So one, I would say like to me, one of the big things is how we start our day. So like this would be a constant theme kind of, there's a practical biology, but there are where it is, it isn't. The idea being where you're feeling musculoskeletal pain is often not where the issue is. Mm -hmm. And so sleep issues at night, often like we can go at least a fair way down the path to improving that by what we do first thing in the morning. So, um, like as an example, having a slightly higher protein breakfast, getting out, having, you know, 10 minutes of time, you know, outside while we're having our coffee or a morning walk, those things can sometimes make a big ripple effect at the tail end of the day, improving sleep. Like what really the worst time to try to improve your sleep is as you're going to sleep. I love that answer because no one's ever given that answer before. Okay. That makes I mean, just a lot of sense. The same like um, – there's this idea, it's called the second meal effect. Mm -hmm. But um, what we eat for breakfast influences what we choose for lunch. And not only that, but how our body responds to it. So we eat like a high, like think of like, you know, like a high sweet starchy breakfast. We're going to typically choose a less healthy lunch and have a much higher blood sugar response to that lunch than if we had had a good healthy breakfast. Mm Mm-hmm. So like if you like the way I would work with patients, I, I would think of myself as much more like a Tai Chi approach, like mm-hmm. rather than taking things head on. Let's see if we can like find a, um, like a, an easier way to go about um, minimizing that issue. Okay. So like like there's lots we can do at, you know, the time leading into bad. Like I'm a huge fan of blue blocker glasses mm-hmm. Been using them personally. I don't know, 12 years, 14 years. And I've had certainly people that I've coached to use those at, at night. It's made a big difference. So the, there's other hacks we can do as well. But the beginning of the day ones, like you said, people don't talk as much about. And mm-hmm. sometimes those will make a, as big a difference as anything that we would do before bed. That's a great point. So besides, okay, so having like a high protein breakfast and what else in the morning? And I wouldn't even say it has to be high protein, just having some augmented protein. Okay. So like, mm-hmm. like a lot of, like a few of the studies, so there's an amino acid called tryptophan. Mm-hmm. And tryptophan does a couple different things. So really, it's kind of a cool, I think of it as a resource, right? So our, our it can go in three literally completely different directions in the body. One's to make something called NAD, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you know about, but it's like it's one of the hot molecules in anti-aging. It can also be used to um, go to serotonin, which is one of our primary good mood chemicals during the day. And at night, it can go into melatonin, which is our darkness or sleep hormone. And so what we see is early in the morning when cortisol is naturally high, almost all tryptophan goes into the NAD pathway. But before bedtime, it would tend to go into more the melatonin. Mm -hmm. And so just having more tryptophan early in the day seems to make people sleep better at night. 
Okay. And it works even better when you have more tryptophan and morning sunlight or some kind of bright light in the morning. And so tryptophan is one of these, some amino acids are a good diet we would get, you know, say 20 grams, 30 grams. Tryptophan, a good diet, you might get maybe a gram, probably most people closer to 800 milligrams. So you don't need a huge amount of tryptophan in the morning to kind of augment like what would be in your diet to all of a sudden go from not quite enough to a good spot. Mm-hmm. You know, so like a, like it, it really wouldn't like just putting a little protein powder in a smoothie mm-hmm. or a little more would be enough to tip most people over that threshold. So it's not having a steak for breakfast. It's just making sure you're getting some good quality protein in that breakfast time period. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think most people listening to this podcast already get a sufficient amount of protein with their breakfast. So I'm thinking like, let's say they already um, get protein at breakfast and they get up and get sunlight first thing, like, and they're still having sleep issues. They are waking up in the middle of the night um, or maybe having trouble falling asleep. What, what would you, where would you go from there? So one of the things with sleep would be this, it's called hyperarousal, but it would be our stress system. Like a, mm-hmm. a, a big subset of people that have sleep issues um, tend to have some aspect of hyperarousal going on. So really it's thought of as sleep reactivity, but that subset of the population, stress affects their sleep much more so than some other people, right? And so for those people, especially things that are stressful in the evening can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Like I'm one of those people I could see like uh, like the Avengers movie and be asleep five minutes later. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I don't have like I don't get hyper arousal yeah. from things. But um, I have a, a few female friends that, you know, like Frasier, things like that is what they need to make sure they can transition into that. But anything with violence, an exciting movie, those would put them much more in a hyperarousal state that would be harder for them to come down from Mm -hmm. and would affect their sleep. So some like I think we just have to be our own gauges. But there's for sure a fairly big subset of the population that hyperarousal is a huge part of the sleep problem. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think a lot of people, especially people, I mean, and it's all combined, right? You see people watching TV before bed, they're watching something stimulating, um, they're on their phones, and so you're getting all of that at once, and then they can't fall asleep or they can't stay asleep, and they don't know why. And then another thing, this would be my metaphor, so I don't know how, like, literally true it is, but mm-hmm. I tend to think of sleep as almost like a bus that comes on different schedules, right? So the the bus will pull in, this is, so I call it the sleep bus, is mm-hmm. what I would say to patients, and we have to get on it then, or we'll miss that sleep bus, and then we have to wait till the next one pulls in, which could be an hour and a half, two hours later. So what I used to routinely see with patients is they weren't feeling like they were ready to get on that first sleep bus because they still wanted to finish the TV show or, you know, um, finish the phone call or finish the chapter in their book. And then when they were ready, that sleep bus had left and now the next one wasn't going to pull in for a while. Mm -hmm. So I know for me personally, that first wave of sleepiness I get, I close up shop, like pause the TV show, close the book, whatever I'm doing, like I jump on that bus and because uh, I just know if I miss that, then, you know, now I'm up instead of, say, 10 o'clock, now it's 1130 or midnight. Mm-hmm. So 
I think that sleep bus metaphor for me is super useful. Yeah. I mean, I definitely experienced that. And I think also that was like, I remember saying that in like a lot in college. I'd be like, I just have to get through this, this sleep wave. And then like, I'll stay up until 3am. I won't get sleepy yeah. again. Like you just got to push through the, the fatigue and then you'll be awake again. Um, yeah. so I think that that makes total sense to me. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about like nutrition and actually this, like this idea of meal timing and wondering sure. if you have any thoughts around meal timing and how it affects both sleep and brain health. So um, what I would say is, so in a simple sense, we, we touched earlier in our conversation about there being two main things that are important for body clocks. One is the timing of light and darkness and the other is the timing of meals. And most people, so again, there's always outliers and exceptions, but most people do better when those things are synchronized, meaning that we, in essence, eat most of our calories when the sun's out and refrain from eating when it's not. And the typically, the, the earlier in the day, we can shift that so that, you know, morning light, some kind of um, calories relatively early in the day. Mm-hmm goes a long way to helping sleep as opposed to eating calories into the you know darkness late evening. Mm-hmm. So like in a body clock sense, our body's trying to do lots of jobs late at night. Um, and melatonin kind of cues up that it's that time. But one of those is it tries to decontaminate our digestive tract from everything that didn't get digested during the day. So if it's still trying to actually digest food we just ate an hour before, it can't get to that cleanup job. And so that can then, you know, have ripple effects, you know, on inflammation, allergies, all kinds of things, but it can also affect sleep. Mm -hmm. So typically, like, this wouldn't, like, there's nothing that's absolutely true for everyone has been kind of my experience. But for most people, if there can be a couple hour window between eating and going to bed, they'll typically sleep better. Now, that said, there's a subset of people with insomnia that a spoonful of honey might, these are the people that classically would wake up um, an hour, two hours into sleep and, you know, have trouble getting back to sleep. Sometimes a spoonful of sugar, or I'm sorry, of honey or um, collagen, one of those two hacks can help them get through that. And for those people, it's more almost like a stress, a blood issue. Mm-hmm. But- helps just moderate that out and um, really almost they're having a stress surge Mm -hmm. during that time period so those are like things i've seen help some people um you know for people not wanting to do honey i've seen a few people try sweet potatoes just a little bit before bed i've seen that work um you know i've seen yogurt sometimes help so if for people that are waking a couple hours after sleep so falling to sleep isn't the big issue like food can sometimes small amounts right Mm -hmm. of the right things right before bed can sometimes be really useful yeah i'm a huge fan of the honey hack personally um (laughs) what about eating breakfast like does it matter if someone eats right when they wake up versus waiting so i like my opinion is not so much Mm -hmm. i think it's a good idea to eat something like, you know, at least a a modest meal within the first couple hours of eating. Mm -hmm. So the way I tend to think of it is we have a huge spike in cortisol, like 
for an average person somewhere between 7 to 9 a.m. And cortisol is one of our most like anti-inflammatory molecules that our body makes. So it it's basically helps us deal with stress. And eating is one of actually fairly robust stress. So I just feel like um, many people do well if they do a lot of the things that are going to be innately stressful when we also have a lot of cortisol naturally in our body or being produced. So like I'm a big advocate of exercising early, eating after that. Mm -hmm. So like my kind of routine, I'll do a nootropic um, when I wake up Mm -hmm. and then head to the gym. And then after the gym, have a cup of like a bulletproof coffee, something like that. And about an hour later then eat. So by nine in the morning, I've typically been up, you know, two and a half hours, done a nootropic, had a good workout and then had coffee and breakfast. Okay. And, and that works great for me. It, um, you know, I, I feel like it keeps my energy super high all day. I sleep well at night. Um, you know, I also, there was a time period when I was in the Navy that I ate in, almost immediately when I was up because of circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I, but like I said, I'm a morning person. So eating first thing in the morning for me definitely has always worked. Do you follow a bulletproof diet? You know, I, um, I tend to think of myself as what I call an intuitive eater. Mm. So I don't follow any, like any diet rigidly kind of what I do is more often than not just like, you know, body, what do you really feel like having? And then try to honor that. Okay. And I just, I, um, but like the thing with intuitive eating, I think we all have this capacity, but most of us have confused that capacity over our life. So I don't know that our, most people's intuitions probably aren't rock solid. But uh, mine, I, I, would ar- like <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. Most people's intuition is not rock solid. I think most people need to first get to an, a diet of unprocessed foods to like yeah. realign with their hunger signals and then move from there at least. You know? Yeah. So, I, and what I would say is like, I think it's, I think it's a good idea to eat more protein and fat in the morning mm-hmm. than most, maybe not your audience or like the neurohacker audience, mm-hmm. but then certainly my siblings and most of, you know, my friends would naturally do. Right. I, I think having more carbs for dinner, we do better than the, the flip flop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's lots of aspects of the bulletproof approach that I think are, you know, excellent advice. And certainly I would say my intuition largely gravitates towards that anyways. Yeah, so. I think it's um, interesting when you get into all the little hacky things people say you can do with diet and sleep. Like, I don't, I'm not sure if you've, like, Chris Masterjohn talks a lot about, you know, avoiding protein at dinner. Um, and just doing carbs and fat or, and collagen if you're going to do any type of protein um, because mm-hmm. it can affect your sleep. Um, what do you think about that? So, you know, I didn't realize he'd said that. I think he's a brilliant guy so um, and definitely knows his biochemistry. But there's – um, do you know mTOR? Have you yeah. heard that? You know, yeah. So mTOR – like it is one of these anti-aging things. And so um, what you typically see in the anti-aging world is you want to suppress mTOR is kind of how it works out. And mTOR is a, a, a nutrient signaling molecule, but specifically it's proteins that mm-hmm. cause a big surge in it. But in um, two animal studies, I've seen it has a really robust circadian rhythm. 
which like to me, if something has a rhythm, then you always want to factor that in. So yeah. the surge in mTOR starts what would be the equivalent of like first thing in our day and then declines like as we would be moving into darkness. Interesting. And when you do like a, a fast, what that does, like we've heard calorie restriction um, suppresses mTOR, but really what it does in the animal study when they investigated it, it shifted the rhythm. So depending on when they measured it, it was either lower, the same, or higher, okay. right? Because it, it shifted the curve. Mm -hmm. And so my intuition is that to um, like that Master John would be correct. Mm -hmm. Like it would if we don't have protein like in the evening and shift more towards carbs and fats, that would like be catching the downward wave of mTOR, which is what we would want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyways, like yeah. it, it would get lost in biochemistry, but like I I intuitively that's um makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean I think it's interesting. I do think this whole mTOR discussion, like I just think some people, especially in the keto space, have gone a little too far, like where they're just like <laughs> like afraid of all protein and now I have people coming to me like nutrition clients like who don't want to eat protein because like I don't want to age I'm like <laughs> we need some balance well, we need some balance here <laughs> yeah and, well, and then the thing is with um so like we also need a good boost of mTOR to build muscle mm -hmm. and the big thing you see with aging is I'd say the three like a couple of the things that go with aging, one is it's called sarcopenia, but basically muscles lose strength and power and size. So we, we want to do our best to prevent that. And you need at least a decent amount of protein to, to get the resources just to keep muscle mass. Then also you need the exercise part. Um, you also, um, what would be called neuromuscular strength. So grip strength tends mm -hmm. to go, you know, so kind of the brain connection to muscles and then balance. Mm -hmm. also goes and then the fourth piece is and this is pretty you know well accepted our max heart rate typically goes down with age so i think like to me if we're doing exercise as an anti-aging we want to do some strength building something mm -hmm. to promote, promote muscle growth we want to do something to get our heart rate as high as possible that's where that like the hit type of exercise comes in and for sure we want to do something with balance so mm -hmm. whether it's yoga dance tai chi you know walking on the beach in San Diego and having the sand shift under our feet. Mm -hmm. But without enough protein, then we can't get the, the good response to uh, muscle growth. So to me, I think it makes more sense to um, time protein like Chris Masterjohn is advocating as opposed to diminishing it. Mm -hmm. So I would like innately, like my current lifestyle, I eat a lot more of my protein at breakfast through the early afternoon and at um, much more modest amounts at dinner. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense too. I think also like digestively, you know, it can kind yep. of help. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about nootropics, obviously. Sure. So tell people, what are nootropics? What if they don't know what that means? <laughs> So nootropics is a term coined by a Romanian doctor. And so really what happened, he found he cre uh, discovered this compound called paracetam, which was a, the original racetam type of drug. And one of the things he noticed when people took this is that they had way more focus, ability to concentrate, those types of things all improved. And so he coined this term nootropic, meaning compounds that when you take them, basically our brain works better, especially in those areas like focus, concentration, memory, 
And he also thought it was important that they didn't give a big downside. Mm-hmm. So like the most stringent definition of nootropic would be something that when you take it, helps our brain perform better, but not at a trade-off with some big negative side effect we're not after. Mm-hmm. And so um, of the, what I would say the most widely used nootropic substance in the U.S. by far is caffeine. Yeah. So like coffee, you know, caffeine and um, energy drinks, you know, there's going to be some in um, green tea, other teas, um, good dark chocolate will have a s- small amount. It's got mostly theobromine, but like tiny, tiny amounts of caffeine. So, um, and what you see with a nootropic like caffeine is that at a certain dose, and that in studies has been 50 milligrams up to about 200 milligrams, it really does a great job uh, fall into the arousal bucket. So like promoting wakefulness or alertness. And with that, usually you'd see an improvement in reaction time, an improvement in um, the ability to, to focus to a degree, and the, an improvement in speed. So those would be like the three main things that caffeine does. But if you go past that range, then some of those things actually drop off. So you'll feel like you're going faster, and you might be. But um, the way I, I guess, would describe it is back when I was in high school, I took a typing class. And I was the fastest typer in that class by a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also made by far the most mistakes, right? So (laughs) I was functionally a horrible typist. Mm -hmm. So I was speedy but inaccurate. And so what caffeine, that's one of the things. It gives the speed but with a sacrifice of accuracy. Okay. So if you then stack in um, theanine, which is an amino acid-like compound from green tea, it kind of – like then gives the best of both. So you get the speed, but you get more like what would often be described as calm energy or calm focus. Mm -hmm. And then choline's, which are choline is um, egg yolks would be the biggest dietary source of choline. Mm -hmm. Um, Choline is used in a pathway called acetylcholine. And that's a big part of our accuracy and memory pathways. So then you, when you stack that in, now you start to get speed, that sensation that you're you know, fast but calm, and accuracy goes up. So good nootropics build off these different compounds that, when stacked together, allow us to improve in a lot of different areas. So what I would say, like, a really great nootropic stack should improve um, the attention category, so mm-hmm. your ability to concentrate and be focused, um, ability to avoid distractions, ability to over time have a much better memory and then also to um, have our reaction times be much faster. And so like when, when we look at how we can put things together, we're always looking at a minimum of those different, I guess what I would say capacities. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth one is what I think of as the social domain. So there's, there's six cognitive domains. So social is one. So, coffee if if you just did a lot of coffee what you often end up being is really not a nice person to the people that you work with mm-hmm. right or like you know you get irritated with traffic or these other things so um i also think doing things to to get the best social response too so like we talked about l-tryptophan earlier mm-hmm. l-tryptophan in a few different studies when people have taken that it's improved altruistic behavior it's made them essentially much more tolerant or patient. Like essentially things that I would think of is it's improved their social um, IQ. 
And so I like I also think that it's important not to that when we think of nootropics to think in terms of how can we upgrade a lot of these different things so that we're doing better work, but we're also doing that in a way that's, you know, we're being kind and gracious to the people we're working with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just want to be clear here. Sure. So when someone's referring to nootropics, are we talking about a supplement that has a compound stacked together? Or can you say like this food is new, is a nootropic? Yeah, no, I would say a food, a cup of coffee would be fit as a nootropic. So a nootropic really would just be the category of anything that if you, you know, took it, it would improve how your your brain worked in at least some area. Okay. And a nootropic stack then is usually putting together a bunch of different of these compounds to try to dial in usually an upgrade in a few capacities. Okay. And besides caffeine, coffee, yep. what are there other dietary nootropics that you think are good? Yeah. Well, so like um. Choline super important. Okay. So Chris so Mastrojohn will we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. Like I think he's written more articles on choline than anyone else I, I know. <laughs> and part um, – so I, I think it was about eight years ago, the Institute of Medicine decided that choline – to essentially make a recommendation for how much choline we should get in our diet. And they also in that time period said that about four out of five people don't get that much. And choline we need really for three things. So we needed to make acetylcholine, which is one of our most important neurotransmitters. So like a a brain signaling thing for memory. We also need it to make healthy cell membranes. And then we needed to protect the liver against fatty liver, which um, diet can cause issues with that. And by far the best choline source is egg yolks. Mm -hmm. I don't know of anything that's even close. So, I mean, eggs tended to have been vilified since the 70s. I think that's changed in the biohacking space substantially. But, yeah, I mean, I think assuming that um, someone's not allergic to eggs, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think having an egg yolk, um, you know, a couple times a week is an important thing to keep our choline levels higher. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we have these dietary sources but then we also have like the supplements right um but let's say someone wants to just take nootropic like a supplement but they're still not eating a high quality diet would you know does it is it still gonna help or what so what we've seen is yes Mm -hmm. that it definitely helps i mean i would say the vast majority of people that take like well let's just take coffee as an example Mm -hmm. coffee helps a lot of people perform better in their day Mm -hmm. um and the vast majority of people doing that are eating what we would think of as a standard not so great diet Mm -hmm. um now what we would also say is that nootropics work best when you do get enough sleep and are eating better so um, but quite often the people that will notice the biggest difference are the people that introduce a good nootropic stack in an already not optimized life, right? Cause like that's when they notice it can be like, I know at, um, trade shows and other places where we've given out qualia for people to try mm-hmm. some of the people come running back the next day and it was like a light went on. Yeah. So, so if you're already doing all of the biohacky things to enhance mm-hmm. your brain function, will you still notice a big improvement you think from the supplements or I think so there's this 
there's an acronym YMMV that you see all the time in the nootropic space, and it means your mileage may vary. Okay. So what you see is vastly different things. So, like, I feel like, you know, before taking Qualia, I felt like, geez, my brain works pretty well, no, mm-hmm. no memory complaints. Um, but what I noticed within really, I'd say 10 days of taking it, my procrastination in the morning. So Mm -hmm. like reading, you know, sports blogs instead of diving into my work just really went away. The other thing I noticed is um, that like that tendency to an afternoon dip in energy that also went away. And then this took me a while before it registered. But all of a sudden, a couple months in, I realized, you know, traffic driving home at night doesn't bother me anymore. And I'm just way more patient with people. So for me, those were the big three things I noticed, and they were mm-hmm. like at different stages of doing a nootropic. For one of my close friends, his memory's frankly always been horrendous. He's one of those people that can't remember names, appointments. Within a month of taking Qualia, he noticed huge changes in all those areas. So what we've seen is sometimes creative people say it's quieted their inner, inner critic. Mm-hmm. So it's allowed them to be you know creative without and get more creative work done because they've kind of stopped being their own worst critic. And so it just seems like wherever our Achilles heel is in the brain, good nootropics tend to address that most quickly. And even if we've got most other things dialed in, most of us have at least one of those. That's very... Where there can be an upgrade. That's very appealing to me. So is this something that you... Well, you you'll you'll notice some instant results, right? But then, does it get it gets better over time, or how does that work? So, with certain things like um, so, the attention category, reaction times, those are things that are really quick. A good nootropic, you should feel those really that day. Mm. Memory is much slower because then you have to, you know, receptors and neurotransmitters and membranes, all these things have to improve to have memory work. So that's you know, I think of as. Like there's a a nootropic out of the Ayurvedic tradition called Bacopa. Mm -hmm. And in studies of Bacopa, it works way better for um, memory over eight weeks than it did at four. Mm -hmm. Much better at four than it did at two. And really, so there's no, what I would think of as instantaneous effects from certain nootropics. A lot of the the herbs you need to do um, over time to get a good response. Okay. And then one of the things that Neurohacker that we're huge believers in is cycling things. So what you tend to see in the supplement world is, you know, take this three times a day, every day. Da, da, da. We're more believers do it once a day for four or five days on, take a couple of days off, just like you would for exercise. Because it's just like with fasting, where it's the time period of fasting is important, but during the refeeding is when a lot of the magic happens. So it's the cycles of, of fasting and refeeding. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the same with um, really a lot of the things that it's the time away from doing them that we start to get a lot of the benefits as well. Okay. So I, I think no matter what nootropics people are doing, it's a good idea to, to take a mini breaks from those periodically. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, we would say every week for at least a, a day or two. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I tried at Pillow FX. I tried Qualia. I don't know which one. I think you multiple. Um, but I definitely noticed I was like much sharper. But I was not sure if that was just from the caffeine component alone or or everything else combined. Um, but my question is, 
so do they all contain caffeine in general? Like, or are there options if you don't want caffeine? So um, we make one product that's caffeine free. Mm-hmm. So we make um, all of our nootropic stacks begin with the word qualia. Um, qualia mind would be our premier stack. And then we have a version that's qualia mind caffeine free. Okay. And, um, and there's a subset of people that really love that and do well on it. So um, some of them take it and there's will get caffeine from their morning coffee, but don't want to get more from a nootropic. Mm-hmm. Um, some are trying to avoid caffeine. And the truth is there are other nootropic compounds in qualia that on their own do have, you know, um, good brain performance benefits. Mm-hmm. So I would say with coffee, like even a full dose of qualia will give you 90 milligrams of caffeine. So that would be about a, a seven or eight ounce cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So not a huge, like we don't put a lot of co- um, caffeine in ours because we don't think you need a huge amount to get in the sweet spot. Yeah. Well, I am a very poor metabolizer of caffeine. And if I have like two cups or sorry, like two sips of coffee, I'm awake for three days. So (laughs) (laughs) I try and minimize my caffeine. Um, But I also was wondering about like the dosing, like there's quite a few pills. So do they need to be taken all at once? So we think of, um, you know, anything with caffeine we think is better to take um, in the morning, just from our body clock perspective. Now, some mm-hmm. people can, I have friends definitely from the military, especially that can drink coffee before bed and go right to sleep. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> so, um, but what I got a recommendation for qualia for someone that's, you know, used to using nootropics, um, does well with a lot of caffeine, a full dose would be seven. But in the real world, I take typically three or four. I was just on a podcast with someone. He takes three. A few people in our office take one or two. And so what we've also, like, that's where that um, your mileage may vary comes in. Um, Someone might need seven to feel like they perform at their best. A lot of people, it's going to be much less than that. And what we've also seen is in some cases, with people cycling the five days on, two days off over time, they've actually needed less. So what we would think of as reverse tolerance. So typically with something like coffee, you need more over time mm-hmm. to feel like you're getting the same benefit. Um, but when you cycle good nootropics, then quite often you can lower the dose over time. Okay. In, in essence, we think what is happening is some of the you know receptors, the membranes, those things are starting to perform better. So smaller signals is in getting like a, um, a stronger response. Okay. Does that sense? Yeah. Yeah. So when someone's starting, what do you, do you, do you recommend they start with the full dose or like three or what do you recommend? I, so I can just tell you, like for me, I always start the most conservatively possible. So when I started qualia personally, I started with one a day uh-huh. and okay. did that for, I always will do something like I'm a big fan of, um, pushing from the bottom up yeah. rather than like, and just in part, because when I was in practice, if I started sick people too aggressively on anything like a new diet, exercise, mm-hmm. you know, a supplement, a fair number of them, it was going to be too much. Mm-hmm. And so it was way better to start them low and gradually build up. And so I, that, that's my base recommendation. Now for someone that already, you know, is doing a nootropic, drinks a lot of coffee, I'd be completely comfortable them starting on the full dose, but I don't think there's any downside 
ever to starting gradually. Okay. And I think of it like exercise. Back when I was in high school, I ran track and cross country, but between seasons, I wouldn't do much. Mm-hmm. So the first you know, day or two of, of practice, you know, I'd go from having not done much to doing a lot to then every muscle in my body would be sore, right? Like I overdid it. Mm-hmm. Um, where if I had been more gradual, then I would have got I would have got to the same place maybe a, a week or two later, but without all that pain in the beginning. Yeah. And so I, I just think in general, unless we have to, it's just a much better principle to start at like a much lower amount and gradually increase. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think just because on the label it said seven, so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But I 100% agree. I'm curious, have there been like studies with like, I don't know, these stacks in particular or other nootropic, like brain studies, like what's going on? So we've like done um, our original stack, we called it two step because it was a take um, away from food and take with food. And mm-hmm. it's it was fairly similar to the quality of mind formula. Um, and that one, we did a 10 person QEEG study. Mm-hmm. We also did a few other things and it made a huge impact. With Qualia Mind, what we've done is um, we've used uh, Cambridge Brain Sciences platform, which is an online cognitive testing platform. And um, that has improved, I think of the 12 measures, seven of them improved with statistical significance. And the other ones, there was a pretty good effect size. But the biggest effect was in concentration. Okay. Um, and, and that was just a five-day trial. And then we've had... I would say a, a fair number of people that have had imaging done and it's um, quite has done a, a done a big boost in um, improving brain or blood flow to the brain. So those are the, the things that we've tested to date. Is, is there anyone who like any population that should not be taking these for sure? We, like in general, we would say for sure pregnant women, mm-hmm. but that's a general, as a general rule of thumb, you know, most things haven't been studied in pregnancy, so it's um, not a good roll of the dice to yeah. take things that haven't been studied. Um, we generally recommend teenagers and younger avoiding it unless they're doing it under someone's supervision. So I, I know um, a naturopathic doctor locally has some teenagers on, but she'll usually do genetic testing and then, again, start slow and um, um you know, be using it with supervision. So those would be the big populations. The other one is there's a few herbal ingredients that um, at least have theoretical interactions with some antidepressant medications. So we don't recommend qualia for people that are taking antidepressants. Okay. At least not without some degree of supervision. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, if you're on some type of prescribed medication, check with your doctor before you take anything. Yeah. And, um, the, and the truth is that your doctor is probably not going to know about a lot of the ingredients in you know any nootropic that you would take and just gonna say no mm-hmm. but um but it, it would be generally to your benefit to find someone that would be familiar with um natural compounds mm-hmm. and how they may interact with your mood if you're going to run that experiment mm-hmm. okay so what else is in qualia besides caffeine what else is in there so, um, so we use coffee berry, an okay. organic coffee berry, as a source of caffeine, and in part because we also want to get the polyphenols from mm-hmm. coffee, which are like plant compounds that help um, with our mitochondria and lots of other things. But then we've got um, 
some choline sources. But the important thing with choline is to get use choline sources that can get into the brain. So mm-hmm. we use alpha-GPC and citicoline. Those are the two best ones for nootropic purposes. We've got a combination of herbs. So rhodiola, which is a really cool adaptogen, bacopa, which I mentioned, ginkgo, which like bacopa works much more slow on memory. Um, we've got a um, algal DHA and phosphatidylserine in mind, which are super important for our, our the membranes mm-hmm. that our neurons use to send and receive signals. And then we've got uh, um, methylcobalamin, which is a methyl form of B12, niacinamide, which we use to make NAD, um, PQQ, which is used to improve mitochondrial performance. So we've got kind of a mitochondrial stack in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those would be some of the, the key ingredients. But Qualium Mind has 28 ingredients, so there's yeah, know, a lot. Bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Let's circle back to NAD for a second, um, because I think a lot of people listening to this probably don't know as much about it and I know you've um talked and written extensively about NAD so can you just explain to people what what that's doing yeah so um so NAD has really I would say it's one of the darlings in the the healthy aging space or the anti-aging world currently and so what NAD really does three different things so one it helps us make ATP which is really usually thought of as cellular energy um, it also activates these pathways that are uh, were found really because of calorie restriction. So when animals are calorie restricted, they tend to live a lot longer. And when they've done experiments, they've isolated certain pathways, like essentially signaling pathways that seem important in that. So mTOR, which we talked about, is one of those. Like with calorie restriction, as I mentioned, you actually shift its orientation in time, but but in general, that that would decrease. Other ones like sirtuins get activated. And as it turns out, NAD is essentially the food supply for sirtuin pathway. So without enough NAD, you could activate sirtuins all day long, but without food to feed them, your cells aren't going to get that benefit. And then the third thing is NAD can be shunted into these cellular protective pathways. Mm -hmm. So it would, in essence, help our cells be protected against toxins and other environmental stresses. So because of those three things, NAD kind of sits at the crossroads of a few super important biological processes. And what they found is as we age, our tissues have less and less of it. Mm -hmm. So I've seen estimates that by like a retiree population would have only about 20% of the amount of NAD that a 20 year old would have. So, um, in part because of that, and then in part because of experiments in animals where they've done things to boost NAD, and it's essentially reinvigorated those older animals, NAD has really become one of the main, you know, uh, I guess, areas of interest in the anti-aging space. So besides taking qualia, what other ways can you boost NAD? So NAD, um, there's... There's really a couple different ways to boost it. So, I, like, first, I would say the direct ways, anything with vitamin B3 activity is going to be used as a building block to make NAD. So, like, these are your niacin, the, the flushing vitamin B3, niacinamide, the newer niacins like nicotinamide riboside or NMN, and then tryptophan, like a, a, a good amount of tryptophan. Like, you can actually correct a vitamin B3 deficiency with enough tryptophan. So, those are like, those would be the, the building blocks to make it. 
And then what you see in the body is to make any of these molecules from building blocks, it has to flow through a pathway with mm-hmm. usually a lot of enzymes. And so upregulating those enzymes is super important. And I would say the single biggest, like the one thing that's probably um, the best at upregulating the most enzymes would be grapeseed extracts or, you know, grapes in um, mm-hmm. seeds. So like grapes have resveratrol. They also have um, what are called OPCs. So those things tend to really do a great job at making that whole, those pathways flow better. So okay. those, that, those would fall into like kind of a direct thing. So, you know, taking things with vitamin B3 activity, taking, you know, something that would give you resveratrol and some other benefits of what's in grapes and grape skins and seeds. And then there's also what I think of as indirect ways. So I mentioned sirtuins basically consume or eat a lot of the NAD our body makes. But what happens as we age is one of the things is called inflammaging, which means we, we have more chronic inflammation as we get older, on average at least, than we do. And that inflammation activates another pathway that becomes this huge devourer of NAD molecules. And so a big part of the reason that NAD goes down as we age is because this inflammation pathway is eating disproportionately large amounts of it. Okay. And so we want to do whatever we can to start to dampen down inflammation. Like that's going to be like a universal thing with aging Yeah. is we want things to lower inflammation. And um, one of the molecules that actually um, slows that specific consumption of NAD is apigenin, which is found in chamomile as an example. Uh, So chamomile tea. Do you get um, a sufficient amount of that from chamomile tea, or you're not going to get that much? But it's, <laughs> it's definitely your best, like um, what I would say, dietary source. There's mm-hmm. going to be apigenin and things like celery as well. But to get like a big impact on it with aging, you'd want to do something like really more of a standardized herb that's going to have mm-hmm. apigenin in it. I mean, all these people with their celery juice, I guess they're just <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. And then, um, <laughs> then like I mentioned, the the ATP piece of NAD. So one of the things with ATP and what we would say at Neurohacker is it's a means to an end. So we Mm -hmm. care about it, but we care about it because of what it can allow us to do. And one of those pieces, the ATP, we need healthy mitochondria to turn NAD into cellular energy. Mm -hmm. So I think we, like we would say, we also always want to be doing things that are improving our mitochondrial performance. And one of the, you know, the foods that is best at that would be dark chocolate. Oh, so, good to good to know. Is there an upper limit on that? <laughs> um, like usually in studies, it would be the equivalent of a couple squares, you know, from a chocolate bar mm-hmm. is sufficient. And you want to have a good dark chocolate. So the w- cocoa has like special polyphenols. Mm-hmm. So resveratrol, apigenin, those are polyphenol molecules. And it turns out polyphenols do all kinds of cool things in our cell and mitochondria. And in dark chocolate, Mars, the Mars Chocolate Company actually has the patents on cocoa polyphenols. So the only company that's allowed to standardize their chocolate bars for polyphenols are Mars currently, or people that license their patents. Um, Other dark chocolate will have it, it just won't be necessarily consistent. Mm. But Dove, um, Dove chocolate, that's a Mars owns Dove. So Dove and any of the Mars chocolates, you'll, you'll, if you eat those dark chocolates, you know that you're going to be getting at least good cocoa polyphenol content. What kind so, of dark chocolate do you eat? 
I'm a huge fan of Dove. Really? Okay, interesting. Yeah. But um, um, but like we tend to like in one of our products we use a, a cocoa extract that is standardized. It's it's a company that's licensed the Mars patents, so they mm-hmm. can um, have polyphenol content okay. standardized in their cocoa extract. Cool, good to know. Got to up that dark chocolate. I'll take any excuse. I'm a I'm a dark chocolate connoisseur over here. Um, awesome. I like the obscure brands, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, I think that's a great hack. And one of the like, you know, one of the I think great studies I saw, and I think it was maybe Mars that donated the chocolate to it. But um, people with type two diabetes typically have all kinds of cellular damage going on. Mm -hmm. And in this one study of eating dark chocolate in people with and it was, again, um, dark chocolate that had high polyphenols in it it actually healed the part of the mitochondria specifically that make the ATP. They call it the crystal. It folds. By the end of the the study, these um, type 2 diabetics actually had, you know, much better crystal function than they did at the beginning. And uh, likely other polyphenols that would do something similar, but it's the only thing I've ever seen studied to make a difference in crystal. And I always think of like if you can affect a type two diabetic, that's huge because they're a hard population to nudge. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Okay, so what about Eternus? What is that one doing? Sure. So Eternus is um, similar to Qualia. It's a combination of a lot of different ingredients, but mm-hmm. we really um, focused on both um, NAD and the ATP pathways. So we we think you want to not focus on only one or the other, both together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you don't really hear this talked about, but to make NAD, you consume a lot of ATP molecules. So, mm-hmm. um, so those two things, and then we think the mitochondrial network is just super important. So, so Dave Asprey, you know, has mentioned it going back to, um, I think his head, headstrong book, um, and, and before that on his podcast, how important the mitochondria is for the brain, um, but also for healthy aging. And so, what Eternus does really is it focuses on those big three areas. Mm-hmm. And so we um, have a core of things that really allow our body to make and use NAD better, make and use ATP better, and then to create what I would think of as a more fit mitochondrial network. Okay. So when you see like pictures of a cell, you, you'll usually see maybe one or two mitochondria in a cell drawn in a, a picture. But each individual cell will have anywhere between hundreds to thousands of mitochondria. And it's that network interacting that keeps our cells healthy. And when our cells are healthy, the tissues they're in are also healthier. So really, we would think of Eternus as almost a ground up working on um, cells in mitochondria so that our cells can do the work. Okay. So if someone, I guess... Would you be double dipping if you're taking quality and Eternus? Like, or, or are they doing two different things? Like, or do you just need one? So, um, so we would say that they definitely can be um, used together. Mm-hmm. When we did our like initial study of Eternus, we had about half the people in the study that were already taking Qualia and half that weren't. Mm-hmm. And um, so Qualia, I would say, is much more focused in the nootropic space to get that you know, like subjectively feel like you're performing better concentrations, focus, et cetera, in a day. Eternus is a much more slow product. It's not as much designed to feel in a day or a week. 
but more gradually over a couple of weeks to a month. Mm-hmm. But some of the same subjective things. So um, what we saw with Eternus is that a lot of people said that they were way more productive on it. Okay. Um, so, you know, so it had a nootropic effect there. Um, quite a few of them said they were sleeping better, which is also something we've seen with qualia. Um, again, qualia is taken at the beginning of the day, but wakefulness and sleep tend to be like flip sides of the same coin. So when you have much better like wakefulness or arousal at the beginning of the day, the flip side of that coin often is that it's easier to fall asleep at the end of the day. Mm. Like what you, like what happens when we age is the, the amplitude, like the change in things decreases. So we don't get that big swing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I, I would say getting back to your question, um, I take both. And okay. what I do is I take qualia usually, um, just with some water first thing in the morning. And then I take a turnus when I have breakfast a few hours later. Okay. So if it takes, if it can take a while to kind of start working, how would you know if you need to up your dose? You know what I mean? Like if you're starting at the lowest dose, yeah, we just stay there for a while and then. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, since it's like, it's not designed to, you know, have a nootropic effect. Mm-hmm. That said, there's a few people in the office that, so it turned us the max dose we would say would be eight capsules. So a lot of capsules, mm-hmm. but we've got, um, some members of our team that have noticed, um, within a couple of days of taking two a day, mm-hmm. a big um, change in how they feel. So, Again, I think it, it's the best way to do is to start small, add it in, do a week or two, and then see how you're doing. And um, sometimes the best experiment then is to stop mm-hmm. for a week and see how you do then. Because sometimes when change is gradual, we're not noticing it when it happens. We notice it when we stop. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so in that, what, what I found in the, the debrief of some of the people that were in the trial we did of Eternus is that they noticed it much more strongly when they were missing it, essentially when the the bottle we had given them ran out. Okay. Where when they were on it, they weren't quite as sure what they were feeling. All right, good to know. I think I need to try both of these. We'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. Okay. Sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of this knowledge. Thank you very much. I just want to wrap up. I'm wondering... If there's any big rocks we haven't covered when you're thinking about how people can support their their brain function and also, you know, push off the, the aging process, besides great sleep, anti-inflammatory diet, potentially adding in nootropics, is there anything else you would want to leave people with to pay attention to? I would to? say, like, getting back into the... the- like free hacks you can do some kind of um, intermittent fasting okay. type of behavior would be, especially um, for brain aging and for you know, like healthy aging mm-hmm. is um you know I would say the currently the most common biohacking thing and so that could be anything from time restricted eating mm-hmm. which means trying to eat all of your food within say like a six to twelve hour window mm-hmm. but we kind of touched on that earlier to um, having, you know, maybe once every couple of months, a few day water fast or where you've um, cut way back on your calories. Mm-hmm. And so because um, what happens when we when we fast, our, our body seems to be super smart. So one of the things with um, both brain aging and with cellular aging 
is that we end up having a lot of damaged proteins in our cell and mitochondria. Um, and we have these innate processes called autophagy that can gobble up and get rid of those and essentially recycle the pieces to build better proteins. And it seems like when we fast, at least these short fasting periods, our, our cells are super smart. They disproportionately break down the junk proteins and, and recycle those. So that's just, I'd say, super important for aging. And then the last part I would just say would be kind of our our mental game. We haven't really talked about that. But, you know, I don't think you're going to find many people that have worked with patients for a while or that, you know, do a lot of biohacking and self-experimentation that wouldn't tout the importance of things like gratitude and um, positive emotions. Mm-hmm. So. I think people definitely overlook that. They hear it and they're like, eh, eh, not, not a big deal. Well, I'll leave you with one thing. So not too long ago, I saw a study reported. And so it was in college students and they basically um, divided them into a few groups. And I'm probably going to like somewhat, um, you know, misstate some of the details. But basically my recollection is, one group, they said, okay, like, as you walk around between classes, we want you to look at people and, you know, understand how, like, you know, notice what their clothes are like and their shoes and other things and, you know, how, you know, almost judge them, mm-hmm. right? Another group, they said, you know, as you walk around, we want you to focus on how you might be socially connected to this person. You know, like, gee, maybe, like, this person will be in a class with me sometime or, you know, this person will, you know, eats in the same cafeteria I do. Mm-hmm. And a, a third group, they said, as you walk around, we want you just to like um, send to this person loving kindness in your own way. And what they found is that last group would just was one way happier. They built way more empathy and their happiness. And like it was short term, so it's hard to measure their health. But the, basically the quality of their day improved the most. And I just think, you know, whether it's, you know, standing in line at a post office or sitting in traffic, um, there's ample opportunities every day to just kind of get out of our head for a few minutes and look around us and wish the people around us, you know, love and happiness. And I I think, um, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities instead of whatever we might be doing in that time can be super useful. Yeah. And I mean, I don't really know the mechanism behind it, but I've definitely heard Dave Asprey talk a lot about how gratitude improves mitochondrial health. Like, sure. Yeah. Studies behind that. So it's, it's real. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of this with us. Can you just tell everybody where they can learn more about Neurohacker, get more information from you? Sure. Our website is neurohacker.com and it's um, N-E-U is um, how you would start to spell it. So neuro and then the word hacker. And we also have um, you know, an active presence on Instagram, Facebook. We have a podcast called Collective Insights. We're like yours. We um, you know, get different experts on. And then um, on our neurohacker.com website, we uh, post usually about once a week some kind of an educational blog and are just starting now to release an, um, a healthy aging course that kind of covers a lot of the basis or the basics of healthy aging. Um, so it's just a series of four videos. Each one's about five minutes long. So great. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. Oh, thank you, Christina. 
huge thank you to Dr. Gregory Kelly for coming on the podcast and sharing all his knowledge about anti-aging and nootropics. If you're interested in trying any products from Neurohacker Collective or just learning more, you can go to bit.ly slash neurohackercrw and go ahead and use my discount code CRW for 15% off. And of course, all information will be in the show notes. Don't forget to pick up your wellness, realness, retreat ticket. If you haven't already, you can go to bit.ly slash wellness, realness 2019 to do so. And make sure you join our Facebook group, Wellness, Realness Podcast Tribe, if you haven't already. That's going to be it for today's episode. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day, and I will chat with you again next time. Bye.